God is doing great things, is He not? Woo! Man, what great worship. You know, I love it whenever we're able to gather as the body of Christ and uh, to literally just celebrate what God has done. And I think for many of us, when we look around, we think about our family. We're in this series called Family Matters, and, and hopefully you're like me. You're, you're thankful for your family. You're thankful for your spouse, your kids, thankful for your parents, your mom, your dad, whatever, and you're thankful for that. And so hopefully we take time on a regular basis just to sit back maybe and realize what all God has done. He has done great things. And He's not done. That's what I love too. He's not done. And, uh, you know, today we, uh, we, we take an opportunity to think about some of the great things that God has done. And yesterday we had a, uh, a, a car show here. It was the, the Big Give car show. And if many of you guys may not be familiar with the Big Give, but the Big Give is what we do every year. It is our once a year offering it goes towards missions everything that comes into the big give goes towards all uh, towards missions and last year we took up seventy five thousand dollars to go towards missions and outreach and it was really an incredible uh moment for our church and i was telling a lady about this past week and she said did you say seventy five hundred dollars i said no seventy five thousand she said did y'all take that up in one day i said well we do the offering on one day i said but they have until the end of the month to to get it turned in i said but god does an incredible work through that that missions offering so we had a a group of guys and ladies that put together a, a car show yesterday. We had $1,000 come in from that car show that will go towards missions and towards uh, reaching people with the gospel. So I want you guys, if y'all would, to give them a hand. Some of them may be in the room. But that was what they took upon themselves. And so this is what I love is that money buys a lot of Bibles, supports a lot of church planners. I said, you know, and here's what I love about it is it was something that they love to do. They took their passion, something they enjoy, something they enjoy being a part of, and they used it to make a difference in the lives of someone somewhere. You know, $1,000 may not seem like a lot to you, but in a third world country, it's like a million dollars. It would blow your mind what you can do with that kind of money in a foreign land. And so, anyway, I love to be able to celebrate that. And I also love celebrating Veterans Day. I know we did a video, but if you guys would, give a, let's give a round of applause to our veterans. They protect our families. That's right. Standing ovation's worth it, ain't it? And so here's what I would say is they have gone out of their way. That, that word in that, that film said brave. And I think about how brave and courageous they have to be to be willing to go to oftentimes a foreign land to fight and defend our freedoms and to defend your family. And so thinking about family matters, hopefully you realize, you know what, these veterans who have, who have, who have literally served and, and put their life on the line for us, you know, they, they care about our families, they care about our freedoms, and they have defended them. So we want to honor you, and we thank you for that. So if you got your outline, kind of follow along. Uh, we're talking about family management. Today we're talking about broken, uh, restoring broken relationships. Restoring broken relationships. I know in a room this size with this many people, there's, there's a lot of broken relationships represented here today. And there may be some here that, you know, it's family. It could be a relationship with your mom or your dad, aunt or an uncle, a cousin, you know, a brother or sister, your child, whatever that relationship might be, you know, you often might wonder, you know, will that relationship ever be mended? Will it ever be restored? Will it ever be made healthy again? Will I ever talk to them again? And, and we know there's times we say, you know what, I'll never speak to them again in my life. And we mean it. And sometimes we live up to that. But what does God say about that? So what does God's word teach us and, and how we, we deal with our relationships, especially with our family, because family matters. 
But how do we deal with that? And how do we mend these broken relationships? Because we all will have strained relationships at some point. So let's look at uh, look into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And I want us just to look at some, some instruction. If you ever wonder, you know, hey man, I don't know how to handle the relationships, or I don't know how to li- really live out this Christian faith. God's Word gives us direction. gives us really clear, uh, you know, direction on how to live our faith out in such a way that it honors God. So follow along with me, if you will. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness and they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, uh, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies and tell us, t- let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. It doesn't say easy work, hard work. <clears throat> and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, <clears throat> and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So this passage here is telling us how to live our lives in a way that does honor God. It's instructions for Christian living, how a Christian, a follower of Christ, ought to live. And, and there's oftentimes that, you know, there's many people in this room that would say, man, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, but our life does not reflect what our mouth says. You know, our lives look oftentimes very much like the world around us. You know, used to we would call that... You know, uh, uh, you're being a, a Christian chameleon. You're just trying to blend in with what is around you. Instead, we should be set apart. We should be different. We should be living righteous lives, holy lives, set apart to the point of where the world can tell that, you know what, we are believers. We are followers of Christ. They can tell by how we live, by how we treat people, by how we how we spend our money. All those things come into play. And so here, we're, we're given clear instructions on how to do that. So one of the things that we can walk away with is we are to live differently from the world. We're to live differently from the world. There, there ought to be a little bit of difference between us and those around us. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I grew up in a home where my mom and dad were not really solid or strong believers. Uh, you know, we, we didn't attend church a ton. We did at times. There was times whenever we would all be there as a family. But most of the time, my mom and dad would just kind of drop us off. He'd drop us off at the front. We would go in. We would kind of do whatever as kids. We would go and we would go to church and we would do uh, you know, RAs or GAs, or we would go to Sunday school, or we'd go to, uh, to to big church, if you will. But we were dropped off, kind of picked up, so my parents were not there. So I didn't have a mom or a dad teaching us as a family how to live out this right here that we just read. Now, some of you, maybe you didn't have that either. You know, maybe you didn't grow up in a home where mom and dad were living out their faith. Or maybe, here's the other thing, maybe you grew up in a home where your mom and dad went to church, but they were just really religious. There was nothing that ever transferred from Sunday to Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. But, you know, you were there and they had you there. But you know what? They never transferred this kind of living to their kind of life. 
And so maybe for you, like me, you grew up, you know, hey, I, I had kind of learned this certain pattern of how to live. And, you know, from a little age, a young guy, I would grow up watching my mom and dad. And before long, you know what? I was doing what my mom and dad had done. And so I didn't have a relationship with Christ until I was 19 years old. When I was 19, I realized, you know what, man, I don't live this life. I'm not living like Scripture teaches. And so God began to change and transform the way that I thought. Like Romans chapter 12, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God began to change the way I thought. And so we're to live differently from the world. So look at what it says in verse 20 here. It says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Now, those of us in this room who have put our faith in Christ, we should have learned, you know what, that that is not what we learned is to continue to live like the world. We should have learned that. So, but that is not what you have learned about Christ since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. So in other words, the truth of God's word has penetrated our hearts. It has penetrated our mind. It's penetrated our thinking. And we realize, you know what, man, I need a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And so since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So when we look back at that, we're we're to realize, you know what, man, at the age of 19, I began to search the scriptures. I began to ask a guy named Phil Wilson, if he would, to disciple me, to teach me how to be a faithful follower of Christ. Because I wanted, to, I wanted to live the way that the Bible taught to live rather than what I was raised to do. I was raised in a home that was pretty selfish. It was pretty greedy. You know, and that, that was the pattern of the world. And I wanted to be different than that. I wanted, to, I wanted you know, my life to matter. I wanted to be able to share this truth that would change people's lives. And so for me, when I look at that, I realize, you know what, man, for so long I was just like the world. And there are times even now when I want to drift back to what I was raised to do rather than what I have been created to do. And I don't know about you, but, man, there's times I have to say, God, I need, I need your help. And so it says we are to live differently from the world. And here's, here's one statement. The world is full of hate. The world is full of hate. If we're to live differently than, than the world... The world is full of hate. You know, oftentimes we teach hate and we model hate. And we as parents oftentimes will hate someone in front of our children with our words and with our actions. And our kids grew up to hate those people. And so the, the Bible says, hey, listen, don't be like the world, but to be different, but to love people. You know, we're to love our enemy. We're to love our enemy. I was thinking about, you know, our veterans. Our veterans who literally go off and they defend our freedoms. They protect our families. You know what, but if they're a believer, the Bible has told them that they are to love their enemy. Isn't that tough? You're going into a, in a foreign land where they literally want to take your life. They want to take you out. But the Bible teaches you to love them. So the thing is, is we should love them enough that we pray for their hearts to be changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. That somewhere, somehow, in these foreign lands where they hate us, that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and realize, you know what, that there's not supposed to be hate, there's supposed to be love. And that one day, somehow, some way, that a missionary will find a way to share the good news. That's why we invest in the big give. It's so that some missionary somewhere will be able to share the gospel in such a way that someone will hear the gospel, they will, their ears will be open, they will hear it, they will respond by faith, and their life will be changed, and they will become a light in a dark world that will continue to share the gospel. And so the world is full of hate. Are you? You claim to be a believer, you claim to be a follower of Christ, but do you hate people? Do you hate people? And so, 
if we're going to be different, we've got to be willing to love people. Doesn't matter what color they might be. Doesn't matter what kind of socioeconomic background they come from. Doesn't matter what political party they line up with. But we say, you know what, God, help me to love them. And what we do is we end up buying into what the social media and all the media that's on our TVs and all the stuff that we pay to be pumped into our minds. We literally buy into all that stuff. Before you know it, we hate this person. We hate them. Instead of going, God, I pray that you would change them. God, I pray that you would bless them. God, I pray that you would reach them. And too often we become just like the world and we're no different. And so the Bible teaches us that we're to be different. We're to be set apart. We're to be righteous and holy. It says, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. We often celebrate having a bad attitude. And so, man, that girl's got an attitude. You know, and it's almost like it's a positive thing. No, it's not a positive thing. Or, man, he's got an attitude. You know, and we'll look at it like it's positive. Nothing, there's nothing positive about having an attitude unless it's the attitude of what? Christ. If you have the attitude of Christ, then we all say, man, that guy is a righteous person. She is a righteous lady. You know, and so there ought to be a mentality. You know, we go, you know what, God, I want to have the right attitude. Not a wrong attitude. Not a toxic attitude. Not a bad attitude. God, I want the right kind of attitude. And so instead of having a, a heart that is full of hate, God, help me to have a heart that is full of love. That loves people, that cares about people, that looks for ways to serve people. It says instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. So in other words, we've got to change the way we think. For me, for 19 years, I had always thought this way. And then whenever I became a believer, I began that, that process. And I'm still in that process of being changed and transformed into the image of Christ. called sanctification. And so God is continuing to work on me, He's continually working to try to, you know, remove more and more of Mike so that more and more of Jesus is seen in me. And so for every one of us, we all say, God, help me to change the way that I think so that, God, I think the way that Christ would. And then the second thing is the world is full of division. The world is full of division. You know, we, we, we look around and everything around us, it seems, is constantly trying to cause division. Let's, hey, let's stir up a fight. Let's, let's kind of pick a fight. Let's do whatever we can to cause division. But if you go back to John chapter 17, Jesus, his prayer was for unity. Father, let them be one as we are one. He's praying for all believers that would respond to the gospel. That's us. He's praying for, he's praying for us to be one as he and the Father are one. So Jesus and really his prayer, it's not the model prayer that we often say, well, that's the Lord's prayer. No, the Lord's prayer is John chapter 17. And maybe today you ought to take some time and sit there and read it and look at what he is praying for and say, God, I want to be the answered prayer of my Savior. I want to be unifying. I want to be one who brings peace. I want to be one who brings people together, who gives us a common goal and a common mission and a common vision and a common message called the gospel. And so that's what we ought to be about is we want to be about unity, not division. Look at what it says in, in verse 26. It says, and don't let, don't let sin... Or don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. You know, there, there's some of us in this room that, you know, we talk about, hey, I've got a short temper. Well, God can grow that temper. God can grow that temper. He can grow it to where it's a, it's a long temper. And we become, you know, slow to anger. But you've got to want to. You've got to be willing to work at it. You've got to be willing to die to some things. But it's, it talks about giving the devil a foothold. Anybody here ever done any rock climbing? Raise your hand. Anybody ever done rock climbing? Man, some of you guys need to get out more. You know, anybody, anybody done rock climbing? I see one hand back here, a couple of you. Y'all, y'all, y'all embarrassed? What's going on, man? Alright, so let me ask you, this is probably why you're embarrassed. Did you reach the top? Did you ring the, the bell? Did you, you know, did anybody reach it? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you did. Alright, yeah, yeah, nice stepping up, cause they want to brag now. But here's the thing. 
is what we do is we have a we have a challenge. It's in front of you. So you've got to climb this wall, and you're either ringing the bell or you're trying to just get to the top so that you can go up, and then you can literally come down and belay somebody else so they can go up. Right? That's usually what you do. So so with rock climbing, you're always trying to find something that feels right, that's strong enough that you can pull yourself up. But the more important one really is the foothold. Why is the foothold more important? Because you can push yourself up to reach the next deal. And so here's what we do. So what Scripture is saying, hey, listen, when you let anger rule in your life, when you let anger rule in your relationships, when you let anger rule in your heart, what you're doing is you're saying, here, here, Satan, step in here. Let me give you a leg up. Here, Satan, here's a good foothold right here. And what you're doing is instead of letting God rule in your life, you're literally, you're asking, you're helping Satan ruin your marriage. Ruin your relationships. Ruin your family because you're letting anger rule in your life. Instead of God leading you and loving on you and allowing Him to rule in your life, you're letting anger, anger rule your life. And therefore, you're literally saying, come here, Satan, I'll help you destroy my family. Think about that. You're saying, hey, I'll give you a leg up. I'll help you up. I'll help you destroy what is so sacred. Relationships. God... A relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we're to love God, we're to serve God, and we're to love people and serve people, right? And so it's all about relationships. But yet we're going to give Satan a leg up to help destroy and contaminate and, and literally just ruin relationships around us because we want to hang on to anger. It says if you are, it, look, it says, and, and if you don't sin, it says, and don't sin, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That used to be something that people would, would try to work towards. I remember Laurie and I, there was times whenever we would, we would get angry with each other and we would, we would go back to this person and say, hey, listen, let's don't let the sun go down on our anger. And we would even at times stay up late talking through things. And here's the thing, it's real easy to let the flesh take over and say, you know what, I don't feel like talking about it anymore. But really what the Bible is saying, hey, listen, deal with the issues. Deal with the heart issues. If you don't deal with those issues, here's the thing is, it's going to turn into a cancer. And it's going to contaminate your relationship. It's going to contaminate your marriage. And we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to be focused on, on, on riding the relationship, not winning the battle. Riding the relationship, not winning the battle. So here's another thing. The power of the gospel transforms us. The power of the gospel transforms us. We, we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God? I want to be different. I don't want to just kind of go through life. I don't want to just kind of have a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on me. I don't want to just kind of get into heaven. I don't want to slide under the gate, you know, whenever, whenever the end of time comes. I don't want to just barely get into heaven. God, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God, I want to make a difference now with my life. I, I want to see people saved. I want to see my family blessed. I want to see my family in a right relationship with God. That should be the desire of our heart if we have been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. Let's look at what it says in verse 26. It says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Some of us in this room are probably going, you know, I've got certain things, man, I just can't quit doing. Yes, you can. If you have Jesus Christ living in you, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you can overcome anything that you're dealing with. You might say, well, I've got an addiction, Mike. You don't understand. It doesn't matter. God can set you free from that. Don't buy into the lie that you cannot be set free. And too often, that's what we keep hearing. You're just a loser. You'll always be a loser. You're, hey, you know what? You're just an addict. You'll always be an addict. But here's the thing. God can set you free. We just got through singing about it, that Jesus can set us free. And we've got to be willing to realize, you know what? There's certain boundaries I may need to keep around me, certain barriers I need around me to protect me. But I have been redeemed. I have been set free. 
And we've got to be willing to walk in that and live in that. But too often what we do is we just buy into this lie that, you know what, I'm stuck here. I can't quit stealing. I wish I could, but it's just a habit. I was raised this way. My dad was a thief. My grandfather was a thief. You know, my grandfather before him was a thief, and I just can't quit. That's not what Scripture says. It says quit stealing. Quit stealing. You have the power of God at work in you. You have the transformational power of the gospel at work within you. Stop doing what you're doing. Get the help that you need. Maybe you need counseling. Get counseling. But stop doing what you're doing that is sinful. And choose to do what honors God. It says if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. And I love this. It doesn't say, hey, use your hands for good, hard work so that you've got more stuff. It doesn't say use your hands for good, hard work so that you, you know, have, have got more in your bank account. So that you got more to spend. So that you can go more places. But it says what? And then give generously to the others in need. We just got through doing a series on, you know, being right on the money. Making sure that we're lining up with what God says. Well, God says, hey, work hard so that you can bless others who are in need. Not so that you have more stuff. Because that becomes a burden. Remember, what we do is we start getting more stuff. Then we got to take care of it. Then we got to rent something to store our stuff in. Then we got to buy a bigger building because we don't have enough storage space. And what the Bible is saying, hey, listen, work hard to make more so that you can bless more. So that you can be a blessing to many. Not just to you. We, see, that, that is the American dream, it seems like. Let me make more so that I've got more. And really, it's about, hey, God, help me to make more so I can bless more. Help me to be a blessing to others. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. There may be some of you in this room that maybe grew up hearing foul language. I grew up in a home where my dad cussed on a regular basis every day. Now, every once in a while, he would use the bad, what I considered the bad words back then, like the F-bomb would come out. And it was almost like, whoa, you know, it was like it was almost like a bomb went off. Like, I cannot believe Daddy just said that. But, you know, in this day and age, it's everywhere. It's in every stinking movie. And, and there's so many people that use that word like it's no big deal. But I remember as a kid, the first time I heard it, my mom was so upset with my dad. And my dad, was he was, he was, he was drunk and he was mad and he's yelling and he's screaming. And I can remember as a kid just going like, I cannot believe he just said that. It was like, wow. But now it's in every movie. And people use it like it's just common language. And here's the thing, you know, and let me just say this. I think there's Christians who use it on a regular basis. We've got foul and abusive mouths. I talked to a couple of guys that were in the military, because if you ever watch any of the military movies, man, it's, that's about all they use. You're like, man, can they use another word? You know, it's like that's all they say. We might, you know, it's, it's high intensity, it's whatever. And here's the thing, and I, and I understand the high intensity, stressful situations, but the Bible says that what is in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. And so whenever you're squeezed in those stressful situations, if the gospel is inside of you, that should be coming out of your mouth. If Jesus is inside of you, that should be coming out of your mouth. Not foul, abusive language just to fit in and kind of be part of the crowd. But if anything, be a witness for the gospel. And so what happens is we become no witness. We become just part of what everybody else is doing. Hey, everybody else is using foul and abusive language, so I guess I will. It's more intense or whatever. No, you don't need that. I've always said this. You know, if you have to use foul or abusive language, it's a low IQ or small vocabulary. God has given you a mind to use. We just got through reading about, hey, God, change the way that I think. Change the way that I speak. And, and, and let me speak life over people. But too often what we do is we just want to say whatever comes to mind because that's what we've always said. I had a friend of mine. He was, a, he was in the Navy. 
And he was an older gentleman. And let me tell you, he was one of the, one of the most incredible men that I had, had met. He got saved late in his life. And every once in a while, he would let one fly. He'd say, Pastor Mike, I apologize. He said, that's my old way of thinking. I said, hey, yeah, but the new man is there. And I would constantly remind him, the new man is taking over. The Spirit is inside of you. And he, and he was one of the guys that invested in this church years ago. He used to send $50 every month to support Journey Church for years. And one, just a few weeks ago, his daughter came walking in. And she was in the service. And I put my arm out and said, hey, listen, I want you to look around. I said, this is what your dad invested in, $50 a month for years, because he believed in the mission and the vision of Journey Church. And she broke down. She said, thank you so much for that. But here was a man who was being changed and transformed. You know what God was changing? His mouth. If he changes your heart, he changes your mouth. He changes your thinking. He changes the way you look at people. He changes everything about us. It says when we, we, when we surrender everything to Christ, it transforms our thinking. We don't think about people the way that we've always thought about them. We don't think about them the way that we've always felt. We don't, we, we, everything changes whenever you surrender your life to Christ. But here's what happens is we oftentimes don't fully surrender every area of our life. We're not faithful followers in every area. Maybe we follow on Sunday morning we're here. But man, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, you really can't tell us apart from anybody else. Because we hate people. We run people down. We slander people. We, we, we tear at their fabric. We, and, and here's the thing. They're created in the image of God, but yet we, we despise them. So when we surrender everything to Christ, it transforms our thinking. When we fully surrender. And so this is what I love is when we surrender everything. It changes everything. When we surrender everything, it changes everything. And so we, we begin to think, well, if I surrender everything, I'm giving up my leverage. If I surrender every area of my life to God, you know, you know and you, we often wonder, hey, can I trust Him with everything? Because we trust Him with salvation because we don't want to go to hell, right? I mean, who wants to go to hell? That's a moron that would want to do that. But what we say is we say, hey, listen, I trust God in this area, but I can't trust him with my finances. And I can't trust him with forgiving this family member, this person who has wounded me and hurt me. Because, Mike, you don't understand what happened. And you're right. I don't, but God does. God knows what he, that person did to you or how they offended you or how they wounded you. God knows. But God says, hey, you've got to be willing to forgive. Because that is a different way of thinking. In this world, is always about revenge. Most of the movies that we see are about revenge. The Bible says, let God avenge. Let God handle the situation. And what we've got to be willing to do is say, God, I trust you. And so, I got, I'm, I'm going to change the way that I think. Because the world has taught me one way. But God, I want you to change the way that I think. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you might know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what we should desire. God, change the way that I think. God, change the way I think about my family. Think about the way I think about my job. It's not a job. It is a blessing. And you've given me the opportunity to provide for my family. And God, you give me the opportunity to be a witness there. Because God, help me to think about it differently than what I have always thought. And then look at the next one. We, when we surrender everything to Christ, it transforms our speech. We've already covered that. But if I surrender my, everything, that's including my heart, then here's the thing. It's going to change the way that I talk about people. It's going to change the way that I speak to people. You know, and I don't know about you guys. Maybe this morning or maybe this past week as you're driving down the road. You know, maybe, maybe there were some people that didn't drive the way that you wanted them to. Did you speak to them the way that Christ wanted you to? Anybody in here wrestle with road rage? Yeah, thank you for being honest. Yeah, I appreciate it. If everybody was real honest, they would all be like, right here, right here, you know. It is, if, if something about that can push your buttons like nothing. But here's the thing. That's what the world does, right? As believers, as Christians, we should be different. Our, our whole way of thinking when we walk into a restaurant, 
You know, we got a waitress or a waiter that walks up with an attitude. We're like, all right, you know, their, their tip's headed down already. You know what I'm saying? Instead of, hey, I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder if, you know, if, if their marriage is well. I wonder if they're a believer. I wonder if they're a follower of Christ. It should change the whole way we think. And so we have to be willing to say, God, change the way that I think, change the way that I speak. And speak life over people. Speak life over people. I think it's important for us, and let me just say this as parents. Parents, just listen to me for a second. I think, I think your words are powerful to your children. And I think it's important that you speak life over your children. If you're always telling them how stupid they are, you know what they'll be? Stupid. Or at least think they are. Because you lied to them. So parents, let me just say this. Your words are life or death. And your words should be building your family up. should be speaking life over them. Speaking the truth. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. You don't lie to them. But here's the thing is you are to speak life over them. And focus on those things that they're doing well. And tell them what they're doing and do it, do it right. And so parents, I just hope you hear what I'm saying. Your words are powerful. They're either, they're either tearing them down or they're building them up. You're either, you're either speaking life or you're speaking death. So your words are powerful. So let God change your heart and he'll change your words. All right, so let's, let's keep moving. We have to forgive. We have to choose to forgive just as God chose to forgive us. We have to choose to forgive just as God chose to forgive us. So when we talk about that last point where it says the power of the gospel transforms us, there's something we need to kind of get our mind around. What is the gospel? So the gospel transforms us. So the gospel is the good news. And here's the good news. All of us were sinners. All of us have messed up. All of us are thieves, liars, cheats, whatever. We have all sinned. We've all messed up. I have, I have been a liar. I have been a thief. I have been a cheat. I've been that. I have, I have committed that sin. And so here's the thing. I am messed up. I am broken. I'm in need of a Savior because my transgressions put me at odds with God, just like everybody in this room. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've missed it by a mile. And so here's the good news. God in His grace, God in His mercy, He looked down. He saw that, you know what, there's no way that we'd be able to be made right with Him because His standard is perfection. His standard is no sin. And so he took his only son who would literally come and be a baby. We're about to celebrate that at Christmas. And he would literally grow up in, in, good, in good stature with man and with God. And he would literally become righteous to the point of never sinning. He would be the one perfect lamb that was without sin. And he would go to the cross. He would choose to. He would go to the cross. He would lay down his, his, his life on the cross. He would allow the, the soldiers to nail him to a wooden cross drop him in a hole, and then run a spear in his side to make sure he was dead. And here's the thing. He would die He would die that death, becoming sin for the world, so that you and I might become the righteousness of Christ. He would conquer death, the grave, sin. He would conquer everything. And by the power of God, the power of the resurrection, he would be resurrected to life, which we celebrate as Easter. And he would offer to all of us eternal life. Through him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. It's not by being religious. It's not by going to facilities and churches and synagogues or anything like that. It is by faith in who Jesus is. That is the gospel. And he made it simple enough that a child can put his faith in Christ to an old man. And he offers salvation to all of us. And he says, come all who will. And he will literally redeem you. And he will make you part of his family. Adopted into his family. You'll become, you'll go from being a creation of God to being a child of God. That's good news. And it's not anything that we earn. 
It's just God's grace and God's mercy. So let's look at this. It says we have to choose to forgive just as God chose to forgive us. It says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption and get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, all, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So, like I said earlier, there's, there's, in a room this size, I know there are wounded people all scattered throughout here. And to be honest with you, it could be literally every person in this room could be walking around with a wound and thinking about how they hate someone. There's bitterness there. There's anger. There's resentment. There's slander. And here's the thing. It may have been controlling you for most of your life. Some of it could have happened whenever you were a child. Maybe it was an adult who took advantage of you sexually. Maybe it was physical abuse. Maybe it was emotional abuse. Maybe it was verbal abuse. They spoke death over you your whole life and you hate them for it. The Bible says that we're to forgive them. And I know that's tough. But the Bible teaches us that we're to forgive. And we're to literally forgive them as God has forgiven us through his son Jesus Christ. God made us right with him through his son Jesus. And here's the thing. He gives us the authority and the power to be made right with the people around us through the, through the blood of Christ. And so we have to choose to forgive. Look at what it says here again. It says, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. How do you live? Do you live in a way that honors Him? Do you live in a way that glorifies God? Do you live in a way that really honors and glorifies this world? Or do you glorify Him? It's, look at this. It says, remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. He has placed within you the, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So if you have put your faith in Christ, if you have received Jesus, He can't be taken out. He, you can't lose Him. He is there and He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's saying, listen, he has identified you as his own. He's adopted you into his family. He's placed within you the Holy Spirit to teach you, to guide you, to protect you, to pray for you. Now live for him in a way that honors him. And look at what it says, get rid of all bitterness. It doesn't say hang on to it. It says get rid of it. All bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving Forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, there may be some of you in this room that you know, you, know, you say, Mike, I have tried. I can't. Well, maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some counsel. Maybe you need some, some biblical counsel. Maybe you need some, somebody to kind of walk with you and help you unpack some of those wounds that you're toting around. The bitterness, the anger, the resentment, the rage is just eating you up like a cancer. And here's the thing. Sometimes you need someone to come along and help you. Be able to remove that and let God's Holy Spirit take over and heal those areas that are so wounded. So you've got to be willing to say, God, I trust you. God, I not only trust you with my salvation, God, I trust you to heal me. This next one here talks about the broken relationship of Jacob and Esau. I don't know if you know the story. I remember reading this as a kid. And I always liked Esau because Esau was kind of a cool guy. He was, a, he was an outdoorsman. He was a hunter. And, uh, and so his dad, Isaac, is, is going to give the blessing to his son Esau. Esau was the firstborn. The firstborn son was a big deal. And so he is going to bless Esau. And so he tells Esau, you know, Isaac's eyes had gotten bad. He couldn't see anymore. And uh, so he tells him, he says, hey, listen, I'm close to death. I'm, I'm going to be dying. And so I want you to go out and I want you to kill for me some wild game. I want you to prepare it just the right way and bring it to me and I'll give you my blessing. 
we had a brother named Jacob. J- Jacob uh, Esau had a brother named Jacob who had, had had already stolen the birthright, if you will, from from Esau. Esau had been out hunting, and he wasn't the sharpest crayon in the box sometimes. And so whenever he showed up from hunting, you know, he's starving, and, and his brother's got some soup. And anyway, he ends up trading his birthright for this bowl of soup. And I'm thinking, man, that must have been some really good soup. Really, really good soup. But anyway, so he, he's already lost his birthright. And so now, you know, Esau was about to receive his father's blessing. That will literally be, you know, a blessing from God. Speaking life over your child. So the mom, and they had issues in the family. There's so many issues in this relationship. And so the mom heard. And so the mom's favorite was Jacob. So she tells Jacob, hey, Jacob, go get a couple of young goats. She goes, or lambs, I'm going to prepare them. And I'm going to get you to go in. And you're going to receive your father's blessing in place of Esau. And she's like, he's like, well, what if he finds out? He may think I'm trying to deceive him. I'm thinking, you think? I mean, that's what you're doing, you know. And so she kind of gets him dressed up, has him put on Esau's clothes. He goes in, she, and he goes, Mom, my skin's smooth, and Esau's is hairy. So she takes the skin of the goats and puts it on his arms. And so whenever he walks into where his dad is at, who can't see anymore, and, he's, and his dad says, who is, who is here? And he said, it's Esau, your son. He said, well, you have the voice of Jacob. So come here so I can touch you. And so he touches his arm, and he feels the hairy goat skin. And so he thinks, all right, well, maybe this is Esau. And he says, and so he, he brings the food. And he, he wants him to come close so that he can smell of him. And so when his dad smells the, the clothes of Esau, it must have been, it must have stunk, I don't know, you know. But anyway, so he smells the clothes and he goes, all right, it's Esau, who's always outside, who's always doing whatever. And so he gives the blessing to Jacob, who was impersonating Esau. And so Jacob leaves. Well, just after that, Esau comes in and he comes before his dad. And he said, he's like, dad, he said, here's the, the, the food I have taken. He said, well, who was just in here? And he, he's like, what are you talking about? And he said, I just blessed, you know, someone else. And it was Jacob. And so Esau just cries out. He says, Father, do you not have another blessing for me? And he goes, man, I've already, told, I've already made you his servant. And I've already given everything to him. And so Esau just cries out to God. He's broken. He's been wounded. He's been offended. He's been betrayed by his brother and his mom. And so anyway, so Jacob's mom hears what, you know, Esau says. Esau pretty much says, hey, when dad dies, you're dying, boy. I mean, he's going to die. He's going to be killed. And so mom says, hey, listen, let's send Jacob off. So they they send Jacob off to get a wife from another area. So when he gets there, he ends up meeting this young lady named Rachel, and he he, he falls for her. So he makes a deal with the guy that, you know, I I worked for seven years for her. And and anyway, so that, that guy kind of betrays him, and he gives her, kind of ironic, he gives her Leah, the older sister, Instead, on the honeymoon night, so he wakes up the next morning. He goes, "What have you done to me? I want to race you. You gave me, you gave me Leah, who has bad eyes, kind of like his dad, who he had betrayed." There's all kinds of irony in there, it seems. And so, anyway, so he says, "Well, you know, take care of her for a week, and then I will give you the other girl." He says, "It's not our our custom common, our our custom around here to give away the younger daughter." So. To get the next daughter, he has to work another seven years. Then he has to work to get goats and stuff like that. So for 20 years, he's in his foreign land. Then all of a sudden, God says, hey, listen, I want you to go back to where your brother's at. To where your brother's at. To where Esau's at. So Jacob begins to kind of put together a plan. He starts thinking about this. And God has blessed him. I mean, he's got all kinds of livestock. got all kinds of servants. And so on the way back, as he's going back, he begins to send messengers ahead. 
letting Esau know, hey, that he's coming back. And he takes all these herds and all this stuff. And it's kind of like peace offering, if you will. Like, hey, here's a bunch of mules. Here's a bunch of donkeys. Here's a bunch of sheep. Here's a bunch of whatever. And so he starts sending all this stuff. And anyway, so one of the messengers come back and says, hey, Jacob, I just want you to know Esau is coming. He's got 400 men. And so Jacob is frantic. And he begins to try to put together a plan. He's still going. He knows it doesn't sound like it's going to turn out good, but he's still moving towards him. And so what happens is he gets there and he, he begins to divide up. And he's got a plan. He's thinking, we'll divide it up into two halves. And, and so if, if, if Esau attacks, then at least half of my family will get away. So here he is coming with Leah and Rachel with all these kids that he's got and all this livestock and all this stuff. But he divides them up so that, hey, if something happens, at least half of my family will live. And so he sees Esau and he begins to move towards Esau and as he gets closer, he begins to bow down. And seven times as he approached Esau, he would bow down to the ground. And so what was he doing? He was approaching his brother in humility. Now, I, want to, I want to read you a passage. I'm talking about a powerful passage. It says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And they wept together. And then Esau looked up and saw the women and children and said, who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Your servant. And then Esau begins to ask, he said, what's up with all these animals and all these herds that have been coming in? He goes, those are gifts to you. He said, I want to give those to you. And he goes, I don't need them, I have plenty. He says, you keep those for yourself. He goes, no, 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 accept them as a gift. And so here's the thing. Jacob is saying, I am your servant. He's calling him his Lord. But if you go back to the, to the blessing, hey, Jacob was going to be the one, right? But here's what I love about it. In humility, Jacob, in his messed up, dysfunctional self, literally comes back with a plan to, to, to work on the relationship and to try to redeem this relationship. But here's what I love. God had already prepared Esau's heart. And so when he sees his brother, he runs up. Can you imagine? Some of y'all just imagine that person that you're in that strained relationship. What if you were to be able to just embrace and say, hey, you know what? I love you. And be able just to weep together. All these years, Satan has robbed us of a relationship. And it feels so good to be back together. It feels so good to be able to embrace. It feels so good to be made right. But here's the thing. Too often what we do is we we just want to follow the world's pattern. Instead of saying, God, help me to be willing to forgive. God, you have forgiven me. Help me to forgive those around me. Look at this last part and we're done. It says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We as believers, as followers of Christ, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-21 says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Remember we talked about we can't think like the world does. We've got to think different than the world does. And so here he's saying, hey, we kind of thought about people from a worldly point of view. That's all changed. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What Paul is saying, hey, listen, at one time I thought of Jesus as just a, a man, just a teacher. But man, no longer do I think that way. He is the Son of God. He has changed everything. He has turned this world upside down. He says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled to us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So listen, church. Listen, those of you that are followers of Christ, we have the ministry of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors. We are his representation. And so whenever we go through life and we have anger and we have bitterness and we have resentment, we have slander in our mouths and in our hearts, we're a poor representation of the gospel. We're a poor representation of Jesus Christ who loved even the guy who was nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And those who spit on him and hurled insults on him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was willing to forgive the ones that, died, that killed him. If we'd have been there, we'd have killed him. But he offers forgiveness to us. And so what I'm saying is we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So when we don't reconcile with others, we are a poor representation of the ministry of reconciliation. Let me be clear on one thing. There may be some of you in this room that you have been wounded by someone, hurt by someone... And I'm not saying that you have to go hang out with them. But you have to forgive them. We must forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. Someone may have offended you, hurt you, wounded you in some way. You don't have to go hang out with them. You don't have to be around them. Maybe they did something to you when you were a child. But here's the thing. You have to choose to forgive them. Just as God has chosen to forgive us. Because if not, then you walk through life with bitterness, anger, resentment, rage. All those things inside of you that are eating you up like a cancer. So for your sake, you must forgive. These last three things and we're done. Next steps for me today. Choose to receive God's forgiveness and be made new. There may be somebody in this room that for the first time, maybe today, you realize, you know what, man, I need to receive Jesus. I've been religious. I've gone to church. I've heard the, I've heard the Bible my whole life. But, man, I have never surrendered my heart. I've never asked Christ to come and live within me. I've never believed that he was the only way to heaven. But today I do. Today I believe that Christ can save me. I believe that he can redeem me. I believe that he wants to reconcile me to God. And so I believe with all the faith that I have that Jesus, you went to the cross. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you want to live in me. I believe that you will place the Holy Spirit to, to dwell within me, to teach me, to pray for me, and to equip me for great works and to do great things. And so there maybe that's you today. And you say, you know what, Mike, that's me. And so I want, I want, to, I want to tell you how that works. It's a, it's a prayer of our mouth, but it's also the prayer of our heart. And it's more important that our heart is surrendered than our mouth. Because if God gets our heart, he gets our mouth, right? And so here's the thing is whenever we ask Christ to come into our life, we say, Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I'm a cheat. I'm a liar. I, I, I'm all these things that your word tells us not to. That's what I am. And I confess that to you. Jesus, will you forgive me? And his answer is yes. Jesus, will you come into my life and will you save me? His answer is yes. Jesus, will you teach me to live for you? His answer is yes. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to live in you and through you. And he wants you to have righteous relationships with the people around you. And therefore you become an ambassador and a great representation of the gospel. The next one is just choose to live for God and be transformed. The gospel will change you. The gospel will transform you. You stop looking at people the way you've always looked at them. You stop thinking the way that you've always thought. You stop talking the way that you've always talked. And you start living differently. So choose to live for God and be transformed. Just say, today, God, I want to be transformed by the power of the gospel. I don't want to just be religious. I want to be righteous. And then look at the last one. Choose to forgive those you need to forgive. 
Choose to forgive. Some of you guys in this room, you can do that right now. It's a, it's a decision that you make in your mind. Say, God, I, I choose right now. God, I choose this in my heart. God, I'm going to choose this in my actions. But to now, right now, today, I choose to forgive those who have wounded me. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room and you're one of those that's wounded, you're hurting. Is there, some, is there a relationship in your life that you know it's, it's damaged, it's strained, it's broken? Would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Say, Mike, I've got, a, I've got broken relationships in my life. I see your hands. Anybody else? Raise them high. Just say, hey, I just want to be able to pray for you. I've got broken relationships. They're everywhere. See, that's the thing. This room is full of broken relationships. But here's the thing. God has also filled this room with a lot of believers. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much. There's some of you in this room that you've never put your faith in Christ. But today, maybe the, today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe today you say, you know what, Mike? I want, I want to put my faith in Christ. I want to be saved. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just say, Mike, I want to put my faith in Christ. I want to be saved. I want to become a child of God. I want to be redeemed. Anybody? Just raise your hand. Say, Mike, that's me. Anybody? Anybody? I see your hand back here. I see your hand back here. Anybody else? Just say, Mike, I, I want to be saved. Let me just tell you, He wants to save you. God sent His only Son to die for you that you might live and live differently. To live completely different than the world. There's a lot of hurt people in this room. And if you just if you just raise your hand and say, Mike, I want to receive Christ, then remember, it's just saying, Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. That is repentance. And Jesus, I give you my life. Here's the thing. He will take it. And he'll change it. And he'll bless it. And he'll transform you. There's a lot of wounded people in this room. Father, I pray right now for those that are wounded in this room. I know there's a lot of hurts in this room. Father, statistically, we know that one in four girls in this room have been sexually molested. It, that, that is crazy. But God, I know that they've been wounded and they've been hurt by someone that they trusted. God, I pray for healing. One in five young men have been sexually molested at some point in their life. God, that's ridiculous. But God, I pray for healing today. I pray that they would begin to take steps. Maybe they need to go see a Christian counselor. Maybe they need to get in a process or a system that's going to help them begin to, to heal in this way. So God, I pray for healing. There's been betrayal in this room. Maybe it's by a parent. Maybe it's by a child. Maybe it's been in a marriage, God, there's been betrayal. God, I pray for healing today. God, the only way that we're ever going to be healed is to surrender completely to you every area of our life. And so, God, I pray right now, I pray for healing. I pray for healing in these relationships. I pray that we would become what you desire us to be, God, and that we would trust you to change us. We would allow the power of the gospel to transform us, that we would begin to be filled with not the things of this world, but, God, we'd be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. God, those things that last forever, those things that everyone desires in their life. God, let us be led by your Spirit and submit to your Spirit that we might, be, we might see the fruits of the Spirit in our life. God, I pray for your blessings over every family that is here today and everyone that is wounded. I pray for healing and the courage to take the steps. Step towards you. God, that they would trust you. And that they would find healing. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for purchasing us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for reconciling us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.